Don't you think the law is stupid? The law doesn't apply to us. We really just need you to tap the mics and say, test, test. Carries a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! <laughs> it's showtime. Don't you smile, blow me a kiss for this one. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. 
did you? Have a nice day. Because you're bastard people. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil. Evil! You know, those words hurt. But of course, you must realize they come from a man who's gone mad with depression. Unfortunately, it seems to happen to some of our greatest geniuses. People like Oppenheimer, Schweitzer, Boxcar Willie. And that's why today we're especially sad to announce that Chris has in fact been found certifiably depressed. I hate them so much. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. What sort of talk is that? Modern talk? Punks and the misfits get all the headlines. You're a bunch of pussies wearing masks. Threat me again. <laughs> hey, it's the uh, first show of a new year so let me just say happy new year happy new year happy new year i honestly think we should outlaw that phrase i think it should be outlawed if i was king for a day no more happy new year no more Happy New Year. It's me, Chris T, here on the HoundNYC.com, where uh, you can hear new hound howls every Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by Crash in the Party, the doo-wop chop shop of the air with Mark and Miriam. And uh, I have a very special guest coming on in just a few minutes, our returning champion, Ken Katkin, who is uh, a constitutional scholar and a professor of law at Salmon P. Chase School of Law at Northern Kentucky University. He's also the host of his own long-running radio show, Trash Flow Radio. Heard Saturdays at 3 p.m. on WAIF Radio. And he'll tell us more about that uh, when he joins us in just a few minutes. And tomorrow he's going to be celebrating Elvis. And I may even join him. It's uh, Elvis's birthday tomorrow. Don't ask me which one. I think Elvis was born in, what, 19... I want to say... I want to say 1932, but it's probably wrong. 
something tells me. Anyway, I was telling him earlier when we were speaking about my long-ago interview on an old uh, WFMU program called Bowling for Truth that uh, me and, and Rob Weisberg and a bunch of other folks used to work on. It was a news magazine type of show. And um, I called up this guy, Lou Elliott, at Supercycle in Memphis, who was, uh, among other things, Elvis's Harley Davidson dealer. And uh, maybe I'll just tell the rest of the story tomorrow. How about that for building some forward excitement, as they call it in the radio game? I still remember somebody at Sirius XM using that phrase. And I remember thinking when they did... What the fuck is forward excitement? What the fuck are you... What the fuck are you talking about, fella? Forward excitement? What? What? Build some forward excitement? Forward? Well, we're always supposed to be moving forward. We're all supposed to be moving forward all the time because that's really the only direction we can go in. Why go backwards? I hope nobody who's writing a memoir right now is listening to this. Of course, if you're writing a memoir, do go backwards. Sweet T and I watched a uh, movie last night based on a memoir, The Tender Bar, directed by uh, Looney George Clooney and starring uh, Ben Affleck and Christopher Lloyd, who uh, I think acquitted himself quite nicely. The film... For me, didn't entirely work, but, uh, you know, maybe I should go read the book that it's based upon. Maybe that's a better idea. Sometimes I miss the book. Sometimes I read the book. Sometimes I miss it, and I see the film, and then I'm like, eh, meh, what's the big whoop? And it turns out the book was far, 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 far better. There aren't many movies... There's a handful probably that you could point to and say uh, they did as good a job or a better job with the film than the book. And I, I, I'm hard-pressed to think of them right now. But this is the first show of a brand new year, 2022. And uh, I'm dubbing it the year that everything goes to hell. Um, I'm not in the best frame of mind these days. I'm closing down my store, That Cave, in Saugerties, New York. And, uh, matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, I got notified by this local prestige publication. I don't know how prestige it is. A lot of the stuff in the chronogram tends to be sponsored content. And I was pretty sure when I saw the email about how I've been nominated for a chronogrammy that it was just a come on to uh, try to ratchet some money out of me. And, of course, it was. Later I got to come on. But uh, someone did nominate me, and I probably somebody I know did it as a joke. Who the hell knows? And then I was torn. I was thinking, like, do I, do I, do I promote this on my social media? Do I talk about it? Do I try to get people to vote for me? I mean, the store is closed. Does that make any sense? Why would I do that? I don't understand. I uh, haven't promoted it yet. It's a little it's a little ludicrous, if you ask me. 
to go promoting a store that's now gone as of December 13th. It's been gone a while. And I'm still moving the fuck out. And it's, it's, it's literally... Eh, the worst thing I think I've gone through as an adult, and that includes my three-foot surgeries. So that's telling you something. It's, uh, I'm disassembling this thing that I put together over quite a few months, and every, with every object that I pick up and I put in a box, I think to myself, why did I do this to myself? What was I thinking? I don't want all this stuff anymore. So 2022 is also the year that I condo Marie my life. Condo Marie it. I'm going to pick up everything I own and I'm going to ask myself, does this spark joy? Does this spark joy? What about this? This doesn't spark any joy. What about this? <laughs> Oh, it definitely sparks joy. Why can't Joy spark herself? That's my question. Why does everyone got a sparker? The number here, in case you want to call, 760-422-5528, 760-I-CALL-A-V is the number here. That number 760 area code is in Palm Springs. The phone number's there. I am not. But I would love to hear from you if you're out there before we bring Ken Katkin in here. Again, Ken Katkin, he might be... Uh, I think him and Keith Artell have been on this show more often than anybody else. And uh, I would like for the two of them to meet at some point. I think that would be fun. I'd like to do a whole roundtable, aerial view round table with all the regulars get Lori s in here we got to have her back by the way pretty soon it's been a minute since we talked to Lori s out in uh california out in los angeles see what the fuck's going on out there and then of uh of course keith hartell who's been on the show numerous times he's probably number one but ken katkin i believe this is like a half a dozen maybe seven times we've talked and uh it's always illuminating because he's a smart fella. I'm the other way around. And he uh, he and I are going to go over the new Supreme Court session. See what's on the docket. That's why this show is called the Docket to Me edition of Aerial View. Get it? Who, do, who out there is... That's a pretty old reference. Who the hell remembers laughing? Jesus Christ. Maybe I should have come up with something else. But I'll tell you... I'm fucking tired. I'm kind of tired these days. Kind of, I'm kind of exhausted. Yeah, yeah. You bastard. So uh, that's the best I can do. And then fuck you if you don't like it. Fuck off, as they say on uh, secession. I have to start doing that. It's my other resolution for 2022. Tell more people to fuck off. Ah. Uh. You know, I did a kind act today. I cleared the uh, neighbor's minivan of snow. We got like three or four inches of snow overnight. By the way, if snow is listening, fuck off. Okay, snow? Just fuck off. And uh, while I was out there shoveling our sidewalk and driveway and trying not to fall on my fat fucking ass, 
I, uh, after I cleared off Sweet T's car, I said, let me clear off the neighbor's minivan, because, you know, they got kids and... Oh, wait. I'm thinking, so this is supposed to be reverb, man. Did, wh what happened to the reverb I asked for last week? I want someone to get their head out of their ass. Is Don on the phone? I was thinking, uh... Man, let me clear off their minivan. What the hell? Because, you know, it's going to take a while. Plus, I have this nice big snow brush. Kudos, by the way, to the quote-unquote neighbor who was uh, using a leaf blower to remove the snow from his vehicle and just blowing it out into the street. And I really had to restrain myself. I wanted to stick my head out the door and go, Hey, by the way, in New Jersey, there's a law. We don't throw the snow in the street, see? That's not what we do. But uh, I think he's got out-of-state plates. And, uh, you know, living in the illegal basement apartment next door, what would he know about the laws of New Jersey? So there he was, this top-knotted fella, out there with a leaf blower. I mean, the things you see. Let's see if uh, Ken Cat can, can join us here and uh, say hello to the good people listening and talk a little bit about what's happening at the Supreme Court in this particular session. Ken? Hey. Uh, yeah, hey, can you hear me, Chris? I can hear you plain and clear and fine. Just like, All right, uh, that's excellent. Just like President uh, M Merck McMuffin said in Dr. Strangelove. Do you remember <laughs> when he tried to get uh, Dimitri on the phone, the, the, the Russian premier? And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, w w yeah. That was so. Peter Sellers was playing the president as well as playing all the other characters there, right? Well, he wanted to play four characters in that film. He was going to play the character that Slim Pickens played as well. Uh, you know, the oh, one the, who the, ends ends up riding the spoiler alert. The film came out in 1964. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, but he ends up riding the nuke at the end of uh, Doctor Strangelove. I forget the character's name. Do you remember what the doc the uh, Slim Pickens? Yeah, no, I don't. Was... I don't remember that. I don't really remember any of the characters' names other than Doctor Strangelove himself. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I I remember the broad contours of the movie, of course. Um, Terry Southern film. I mean, it, it, you know, of course, Stanley Kubrick, uh, one of the more brilliant uh, satires that has come out in the last fifty or so years. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's one of those films you should go back and revisit. I've seen it yeah. on the big screen too. I saw it in Revival. Dr. Oh, yeah, Strangelove. me too. I think it's more than 50 years now, but yeah, still one of the greats. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's 1964, so pardon my shitty math. Yeah. Or is that arithmetic? <laughs> I always forget. Yeah, he uh, he was going to play Major King Kong. That was the name of the Slim Pickens character. And they finally decided it was like it was too much. Like, And Stanley Cooper was like, you're not that convincing as Major King Kong, so just do Group Captain Lionel Mandrake and... The president and Doctor Strangelove just do those three. And that's, he did. He did well with those, particularly with Doctor Strangelove. Uh, <laughs> that's just. That's just <laughs> I think of that film and I just start laughing. I'm sorry. It's just so. It's so good. But there's that scene where uh, I believe, yeah, President is it President Merck McMuffin, who is trying to get. Dimitri, uh, the premier of uh, Russia, on the phone, and he's like, "What's that, Dimitri? You're coming through plain and clear and fine, Dimitri." So, uh, Ken Katkin, you are coming through plain and clear and fine. Let's remind everybody that Ken Katkin is uh, 
I don't know. I always call you Ken, but your name is Kenneth. Am I am I doing oh, it wrong? No, no, you're doing it right. Uh, okay. my, my friends would call me Ken. <laughs> okay, and I like to think we're friends. We've known yeah. each other a long time. Um, yeah. So yeah, the uh, the university is Northern Kentucky University. It's a Sam and P. Chase College of Law. And how long have you been on the faculty now at this point? Uh, this is my twenty second year. So uh, autumn twenty twenty, you showed up. Uh, that there? is correct. No, of, of 2000. Yeah, autumn of, two, of 2000. Of 2000, yeah. I'm sorry. Autumn of 2000. That's right. And your uh, your areas are broadcast, telecom, internet law, uh, yep. constitutional law, yep. entertainment law, the yep. federal courts, federal taxation, and a few other things as well. Yeah, legislation, the legislative process. But yeah, but, but all those, a lot of law. Uh, it's a small law school. I got to teach a lot of law. You got to teach a lot of law. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, sounds like a Nicolette Larson song. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Uh, just now, yeah. So, and the other thing that we know you from is Trash Flow Radio, which has been on how many years now? Oh my gosh, depends how you count it. Um, so I started it um, out there in New Jersey in uh, 1983 at WPRB. So it's moved around the country some, but it's been out, out here on WAIF in Cincinnati as long as I've been out here, so starting around 2000. So WPRB is the Princeton station that yeah. uh, Michael uh, Lupica now runs? That's right. Uh, he is the uh, general manager there. And it's a very odd station because it's not really... I mean, it's it's at Princeton, but it's not like owned by Princeton or anything. I mean, he explained it to yeah. me one time. I don't know if I remember it correctly. Yeah, first of all, I was interested how you pronounced his name because you know I usually pronounced it Lupica, but now I'm wondering if I've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. I remember one time because you know that sports writer Mike uh, Lupica or Lupica yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and, and I remember I pronounced it like that, and he corrected me. Okay, so I think so it's, it's Lupica. It's Lupica. All right, I've, I've always pronounced it wrong, but he's never, he's been too shy to uh, correct me. By the way, this, I get so. a pass on mispronouncing people's <laughs> names because mine is Sackus and the T is silent. So don't give me any grief <laughs> if I've mispronounced his name. So yeah, he uh, he runs it now, but it's not it's not owned by Princeton. It's on the Princeton campus. It's like an independent yeah, it's, station. Yeah, it's a great story. It was set up by Princeton students uh, back in the late 40s. When the when the FCC first started giving out FM licenses, but before anybody owned FM radios, um, you know it was easy to get an FM license, and some Princeton students got it to start a station out of their dorm room, and uh, they 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 asked the FCC for the license, they got it, and then they created a a, a a sort of just phony corporation, a paper corporation called Princeton Broadcasting Service, um, to hold the license. But that's just been passed down um, from students to students ever since. So it's, it, the station is literally owned by students, although eventually the um, the university gave some space for it. Yeah. So in exchange for what? I mean, the university gets what from that? They they get uh, some come on for the students, like as if you need to convince you know kids to go to <laughs> Princeton. You're like, we got a radio station, by the way. It's an actual <laughs> FM station. Yeah, I think they don't, you know, I think they what they get out of it, it partly could be that because I'll tell you, Chris, you, 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 you make fun of that idea. But when I myself was a high school senior, I went visiting, you know, a few colleges uh, of, of maybe of that caliber that I got admitted to. And I listened to WPRB and I, I stopped by the Princeton Record Exchange. And I'll say that had an extremely dispositive effect on, on how I chose which college to go to. And uh, um, so maybe there's some of that. But I think also generally, 
Princeton's a pretty wealthy institution, and it sort of has a policy that if students want to start a student organization, they'll support that and they'll give space for it. So I think I think it's just like any other kind of student club that way. Ah, uh, yes, Princeton. I've been on the the campus recently. I, I went to visit Mike uh, Lupica. <laughs> at the uh, at the station and he showed me around and it was it was cool to see it but i also had to go down there for work at one point uh when i was working and uh, they got one hell of a nice campus there it's nice so, it's so nice. Do you say to, do you say tomato or tomato while we're on the subject of Mike? i usually say tomato but you know last name pronunciations are all about the family member like my cousin the one who kicked me out of the space and Socrates doesn't pronounce her name the way that my side of the family does. It's a different pronunciation, and it's weird. It's, it's like, I, I never, th- like, is there anybody in the Katkin family who pronounces it some other way? I mean, there's no other way to pronounce it. Not, not in the Katkin family, but I could tell you a story like that that's even weirder from my mother's side of the family. Oh, please do. Yeah. So uh, my, 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 my grandmother's, my maternal grandmother's maiden name was Gaddison. And she had three sisters. And I think when they were much younger, they bought a, a family funeral plot in northern New Jersey that they could all be buried in. And uh, eventually, I think my grandmother was the last to go because she lived till 99. And uh, we went we went to bury her there. And the tombstone was made out in her name. And when we buried her next to her sisters there, it's the first time I ever noticed that they didn't all spell Gaddison the same as each other. Over over time, I think they'd forgotten. What you know? Yeah, the the spelling diverged over the course of their long lives. Like they all had that name, Gaddison, but some spelled it G A D I S O N, and some spelled it G I D I S I N, and one spelled it G A T A S I N. Like there were all these different spellings for Gaddison, and I, I can only attribute that to you know their parents were immigrants. Maybe they didn't spell it consistently. And uh, the, 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 the girls sort of learned how to spell their name when they were kids and they all lived into their 90s and they kind of branched off and started, you know, I think, I think accidentally spelling it differently from each other. Well, my cousin's branch apparently decided years ago it was say kiss, say kiss, because <laughs> my Uncle Homer apparently would say to people, just say kiss. And he was in advertising. He was a madman. He worked on Madison Avenue supposedly came up with everything's better with blue bonnet on it who knows if that's true i have no idea you learn things about your family and you spend a lot of time going could that be true could that possibly be true so i don't know if that's true or not but uh yes say kiss as opposed to sackus please we don't have ken kak in here to talk about this nonsense he's here to talk (laughs) about the new supreme court session uh and see we're gonna take a quick quick review of what's on the docket it's the docket to me edition of aerial view and uh so let's talk about what they just discussed uh today which was this this joe biden vaccine mandate uh where if you have a company uh over a particular size you have to either make sure that your employees are vaccinated or you have to test them constantly um, and then there was a part two of that, which had to do with employees of healthcare facilities and anybody employed by the federal government providing what, uh, like Veterans Administration services, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, that would be included, but actually it would also include um, pretty much almost every hospital uh, or nursing home, because if, if the bills are being paid by Medicare or by Medicaid, 
then those places would be covered, even if it's not operated by the government. So, yeah, if it's a Medicaid situation, then you have to be vac- vaccinated. vaccinated. Right. Yeah. The, uh, so the yeah, so they're right. That law said as long as the federal government's paying somebody's bill to be living in a nursing home or in a care facility or something like that, the, the federal government's insisting that those facilities have all their employees uh, vaccinated. By the way, if you're uh, wondering uh, what uh, days upcoming on the Supreme Court calendar are argument days, uh, January 10th, Monday through January 12th, Wednesday, is an argument or argue, argument days. The 18th and the 19th as well, Tuesday and Wednesday of the following week. Don't forget your non-argument days include the 24th. So please, no <laughs> arguments on those days. And the building is closed currently to the public out of concern for the spread of the very thing that they were talking about today, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And the reason why the Biden administration said basically under our emergency powers, we plan to do this. We uh, want to do this. It was supposed to happen already, wasn't it? And didn't they kick it down the road a bit so the Supreme Court can discuss it? Yeah, I mean, it should have been implemented already, but the first time a, a lower court ruled against it, and the, the lower courts were split, some ruled against it, some ruled for the Biden administration, but the first time any lower court ruled against the, the Biden administration, they said, we'll delay the whole thing until early January um, so we can get an order, orderly judicial resolution. Um, so they never have implemented it yet. Now, they're on the, on the, they would be on the verge of implementing it, um, but this this case came into the U.S. Supreme Court as an um, emergency appeal. So um, I, I don't know if the Biden administration, they had said they were going to start implementing it this week, but they really haven't started implementing it this week. And I, I don't know how fast the Supreme Court will rule on this case, but it it probably will be much, much faster than they would usually rule because it came to them um, as an emergency um, appeal from 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 people who didn't want it to take effect as if there'd be some kind of emergency causing people to get vaccinated would be the emergency and they were complaining that that was the emergency they needed the court to protect them from so from what i saw pop up on my phone it's not going well for the biden administration on the first question private employers uh the second question i I think probably not yeah yeah. The second one might be better. So yeah, if I could explain that just for a second and cut me off if I'm getting boring, but there's there's two different laws at issue here. Um, one law is is called the OSHA law, the Occupational Self uh, Occupational Health and Safety Law, and and that applies to substantially all large employers, um, no matter whether their bills are paid by the government or not. And the the concept of the OSHA law is that employers have an obligation to maintain safe workplaces. And so OSHA is a government agency that makes regulations about what constitutes a a safe workplace. So, you know, in factories, they'll make rules about, um, you know, how fast the assembly lines can move or what kind of toxins can be lying around or or whether people have to wear masks to do certain uh, job functions and things like that. And so what, what 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 the Biden administration did Um, is they said, well, it's now an occupational safety issue for everybody who works to be um, in a workplace where they're not going to get COVID. Um, So on that theory, they, they, they said, therefore, we're regulating substantially all large employers and, and requiring them to keep their workplaces free of COVID um, by, by requiring their employees either to get vaccinated 
or to get um, regular weekly tests if they don't get vaccinated. So that's all really that the, the regulation requires. And again, the concept being that that will make it safe for all the other workers because they won't have to go to a workplace with COVID. Um, now, the, 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 it is a little bit more aggressive of a use of the OSHA law than has happened in the past because past uses of the OSHA law have really focused primarily on conditions that only exist in a workplace and that don't exist you know, out in the world generally. Whereas like the, the, um, the, the risk of COVID is not a uniquely workplace risk. COVID is sort of everywhere, including in workplaces and including everywhere else. And that's been the, the big hook by which um, the, the, this, this regulation has been attacked. So the, the challengers say, well, this is, it's only masquerading as a workplace regulation, but it's not, COVID's not a hazard that's unique to the workplace and therefore it shouldn't be able to be regulated under the OSHA law. Um, now there's no real reason a, a hazard has to be unique to the workplace to be regulated under the OSHA law. And I think it's a pretty reasonable regulation to keep workplaces safe. Um, I would like to see a COVID mandate in my workplace, although there's not one. Uh, but if this if this OSHA regulation could take effect, then there would be one, um, which I'd be very pleased about. Uh, but uh, but I, I do think that this is going to go on uh, probably a straight partisan vote. By the way, uh, happy anniversary to OSHA, which uh, was created 100 years ago as the Bureau of Labor Standards, uh, because back then you, you needed that. And it's headquartered in the Francis Perkins building. Francis Perkins was the U.S. Secretary of Labor from 1933 to 1945. Uh, she, uh, she went to, to Mount Holyoke, where my, my niece went as well. And they, they have something there named after her. But she was a very interesting woman who uh, basically, uh, during FDR's administration, really transformed this country. I mean, you want to talk about... The social safety net, we can sort of thank Francis Perkins for that. The thing that Republicans can't stand and are constantly trying to dismantle. In other words, the idea that just because you don't have enough uh, money to, uh, for instance, retire, uh, you, maybe you should have some kind of social security. That was her. That was Francis Perkins. So um, it, now uh, Nixon turned it into OSHA. Um uh, and OSHA, yeah, OSHA makes sure that you are safe in the workplace because prior to that, it was a bloodbath, I'm sure. Prior to, <laughs> yeah. prior to 1922, you know, uh, go look at the Stephen King uh, story, The Mangler, for a, a pretty good introduction to probably what, what life was like on the job. Uh, from, you know, the famous, uh, what was the one that happened in New Jersey? I, I used to drive past this place. On, a, on the way to my friend's place in Montclair, and he'd say, that's the factory was the, where... Was it the Triangle? Uh, was it called the, the Triangle? Oh, the, you, are you talking about the Triangle building or the... No. The one, the, I thought there was a Triangle fire, but I might be thinking oh, of one in Chicago. The Triangle Shirtwaist uh, Company Shirtwaist, yeah. fire. Yeah. yeah, that was the one where the, the they were locked into the building and, and they jumped out of the windows, essentially, and died. Right. And, or they burned to death. But no, this was the factory where they would paint the radium dials on the watches and the clocks and the women would dip the the paintbrush in the radium radioactive paint and then on their tongues and they were all losing their tongues to cancer of course and yeah so uh before osha that kind of thing was fairly routine and so so how did it, how is it going in this, at the supreme court what are, what are the 
conservative justice saying? What are the liberal justices saying? About well, this? you know, it's it's you know, in, in one sense it's it's predictable, and in another sense it's extreme. Which is um, the the you would expect when you have a six three Republican majority and really a six three conservative Republican majority that you know all the all the uh, cases where there's any politics involved are going to go to the Republicans, and that of course is happening. Um, one one thing that's going even beyond, I think, a lot of uh, um, what a lot of the, the general public sees um, is the speed at which the Supreme Court is reaching out to take cases that really are not appropriate for the Supreme Court to take, including today's COVID cases, because these cases have not really um, been litigated in the lower courts yet. And in the ordinary course, you know, before very recently, um, the Supreme Court wouldn't take cases until those cases had been litigated in the lower courts, there was a complete factual record developed. There was um, there were there were careful opinions written by lower courts of appeals. And according cases would, according to the New York Times, the Supreme Court I'm reading here quote has repeatedly upheld state vaccine mandates in a variety of settings against constitutional challenges. The cases before the court are different as they primarily present the question of whether Congress has authorized the executive branch to institute the requirements, unquote. So is that why this is well, there? I would, I, would, I, would, I would decode that statement a little bit. Please do. I, I, think, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I think the concept here um, is that the, the court is not so much against vaccine mandates as it is against the Biden administration. Right. So if you have um, vaccine mandates coming from state and local governments, as you said, the, the Supreme Court has let those stand by and large because it doesn't really have an objection to vaccine mandates. But what the court really wants to do is punch Joe Biden in the nose and make him lose every time. So it's, it's the fact that this 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 particular mandate came from the White House and from the, the administration. Um, that's the reason I think it, it has very little hope of surviving the Supreme Court. Well, I have heard this elsewhere, that Congress is really the only entity that could authorize this kind of nationwide mandate. Do you buy that? No, I don't buy that at all. No, I do buy that the Supreme Court is probably going to rule that way. But, but this is a, a complete break. You know, if you would have looked at how these same Republican judges look at opinions by Justice Scalia and Justice Thomas that were written when Reagan was president or when George W. Bush was president, um, and they will have exactly the opposite theory of presidential power, right? So because it's kind of a recurring problem. You have broad statutes that Congress has already enacted that empower executive agencies to take certain actions, right? So OSHA exists because Congress has already enacted statutes and these statutes that Congress did enact say, well, there's gonna be an agency called OSHA. It's gonna have the power and the responsibility to regulate workplaces to make them safe for workers. Um, so Congress did do all that. So what, what, what happens next is when, when the agencies actually do exercise that statutory power that Congress already gave them in statutes, that you have a very political Supreme Court that, you know, if you've got a Republican president, they say, well, a broad statute that says the agency has the power to keep workplaces safe, that basically means the agency has all the power it ever wants to do whatever it wants. But if you have a, a Democratic president, then the Republican court's going to say, well, no, that, that there, there's no power to do anything unless Congress passes another more specific statute giving them specific power to do something. So it's 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 completely partisan and unprincipled. And there, there's no general principle that this Supreme Court has ever applied about um, you know how much power 
can can Congress uh, um, uh, delegate away to an executive branch agency? Well, uh, while you were talking, I was thinking of that thing that people will throw at you sometimes. Consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds. <laughs> but come on, th- these are supposed to be intellectuals, for God's sakes, on the Supreme Court. So what? So where's the intellectual consistency? I mean, it, 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 is this really where we're at now? That the court is politicized. The last few times you and I have talked about this, we've touched on the subject, but it it just seems like there's no turning back now. How do you go back from this? Yeah, it's going to be tough. I mean, I think that um, there's a lot of reforms in this case that Congress could do, but it's very hard to get Congress to do anything as long as the filibuster rule still stands. So, you know, people talk about certain reforms like increasing the number of justices or imposing term limits on how long someone can serve on the Supreme Court or, or things like that. There's even some simpler reforms like um, just uh, limiting the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court over what kinds of cases they can hear um, or, or doing things like requiring supermajority rules if they want to strike down an act of Congress or an act of the president so that a, a 5-4 or 6-3 vote might not be good enough anymore. It might take a 7-2. Congress could legislate a lot of things like that, but it just um, depends on Congress having the will to do it and and having um, the, which includes the will to break the filibuster rule because otherwise it could never be done. Well, it's 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 beyond the will at this point. It's down to the usual suspects, uh, down to Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. So uh, without those two on board, there goes our democracy. Whoops, there it goes, yeah. and uh, the alarm bells are ringing. The you know, it's like the building's on fire. There's this new book coming out uh, from this professor uh, in San Diego at the University of San Diego writing about civil wars. She's made the study of civil wars her life's work. And she says these four indicators, four signifiers that she's identified, the United States, yes, guess what? All four are lit, bright red. Uh, there are a lot of people who think it won't be a civil war, like Ken Burns' civil war. It'll be guerrilla warfare. It'll be political violence. It'll be uh, people on the right, mostly, because mostly they're the ones who resort to violence. There isn't so far a history of uh, left-wing violence like there's been over the last X number of years in this country it's all been right-wing violence and, and right-wingers uh, murdering people that they don't agree with. That uh, There's a lot of people saying that's about to get worse. It's not going to get better. It's getting worse. Uh, of course, yesterday, Joe Biden, for the first time, uh, called, out, called out his predecessor, didn't refer to him by name, uh, the former president, whatever he called him, and called him a baby man who can't accept defeat, a big sore loser. I kind of wish Joe Biden had like rubbed his eyes and went, wah, wah, I lost. <laughs> I mean, that would have been great. I mean, I wish he had taken something from Trump's playbook and just been like, you goddamn loser, you big baby. Uh, but things, things, things are very, very divided in this country. And the Supreme Court, I never thought I would see it uh, making decisions from political bias. But... But am I, you know, you you probably, I'm sure, probably, you know more about the history of the Supreme Court. Was there always political bias in the decisions that came down? Yeah, I, I think there was. Um, but, well, I mean, you could say maybe less so in the first hundred years because the, the, 
the the government did a lot less in the first hundred years, and the the court did a lot less in the first hundred years. Although even then, you know, in one of the one of the things that actually kicked off the Civil War was a Supreme Court decision. It was uh, the and it was a very activist Supreme Court decision, the the Dred Scott decision. You probably know a little bit about that decision. Oh, they taught that one in school. It was so yeah. bad. That <laughs> yeah. one that one said that African Americans, the Negroes, that they as they were called at the time, were three fifths of a human being. Actually, worse than that, um, it said that they could never, under any circumstances, be citizens of the United States because they're not part of the we the people that are referred to um, in, in the Constitution, um, which meant that even in free states, they couldn't be citizens of the United States. Um, so this was a um, it was it was a bit of judicial activism that, um, you know, I think the court may have may have thought that it would help head off the Civil War, but certainly it made that up out of whole cloth. And it, it didn't help um, head off the Civil War. It really actually helped catalyze the Civil War. So you have that one, I think, very early example of that. But then beginning in the 20th century, there were a lot of politics in the court. You know, in the in the progressive era, um, uh, in the early, in the, in the 1910s, basically, when you first start to see laws like minimum wage laws and maximum hours laws and, and things like that, even some workplace safety laws, um, the, the early court then in the early 20th century struck down all those laws all the time um, just because of really ideological opposition. And it took ultimately until um, the, the late 30s when President Franklin Roosevelt was able to both appoint a lot of justices and threatened to appoint even more through a court packing plan that, that the court really backed down on that. And then I suppose, you know, conservatives might have a fair point if they said that in the 50s and 60s um, uh, in the Warren Court era, the court got political, but in the liberal direction, and it, it gave us um, decisions um, that integrated the schools and that uh, took prayer out of the schools and things like that, got into some some divisive social issues and made some progress, you know, up through the period of, of Roe versus Wade and abortion. I, I would say it, it would be fair to say that the court was being political there as well, though, in a direction that I like. Um, and then, you know, beginning with the Reagan era, the, the court has been um, moving at first quite slowly but lately with um, increasing speed um, to really um, try to be extremely activist and extremely conservative and to sort of replace the U.S. Constitution with the Republican Party platform and, when and it's trying to decide how to how, figure out how to decide each case. And the problem with that is the is the wider problem uh, of minority rule. And that is that uh, the majority of Americans, they're, they're, these are not uh, positions that reflect what the majority of Americans think should go on the majority what is it 70 percent of americans support a woman's right to choose yeah. uh so and and right down the line you name it these uh quote-unquote cultural uh or social issues the republicans are are consistently on the wrong side of the majority of american opinion they they're working against the majority of american opinion and that's why Make America Great Again is the perfect slogan for these people. They want to take us back to a time when this stuff wasn't because uh, they, they're mostly aggrieved white people who see their power slipping away somehow. They think that equality um, among different identities and different uh, backgrounds of Americans mean that something is being lost by them. They don't like it. So this is what they're trying to do. And and they're doing it in a very insidious way by getting hold of these uh, local election boards, by moving into positions of power where they can overturn the outcome of the next election. 
and they won't have to storm the Capitol like they did on uh, January 6th a year ago. You know, it's interesting on the thing of overturning the uh, outcome of elections. One thing that I've found kind of interesting, it's like a poker game in the last couple of days, is uh, um, you know, Mitch McConnell has been talking about that he would support legislation that would prevent um, Congress from throwing out the electoral votes um, on the electoral count day, you know, as Trump had tried to get them to do th- th- in 2020 and or 2020, in the beginning of this year, 2021. Um, you know, and, and I think the reason McConnell is sort of offering that is that, you know, that's in a way it's that would be the hardest uh, thing for that'd be the hardest way for Republicans to steal future elections, right? Like the thing that Trump was actually trying, you know, didn't work. But meanwhile, um, you know, at the same time, as you talked about with states and localities, there's been tremendous amount of voter suppression and gerrymandering that has been working quite well um, for, for the Republicans to, to to make it harder for people to vote, to put them in districts where um, they, they'll get the majority of the of the, of the districts, even if they're the minority. I got to I got to stop you for a minute, because yeah. the one I don't yeah. understand is why you can't bring food or drink to somebody waiting yeah. on a line to right. vote. Exactly. Why? Yeah. Why? That, why? That kind why? of stuff. Yeah, but what's the, the line... basis for objecting to that? <laughs> Will you, w- do they think you're going to be, uh, what is it called when you, you're not supposed to do it within a certain distance? Uh, ele- electioneering. electioneering, right? Yeah. So do no, they think what they if re- you bring somebody a coke, you're going to be electioneering? Yeah. That, that's what they say, but of course, what they really think is people won't want to stay in line for that long if they can't get a drink, so they'll leave. Which is what they're what they're really trying to do is just stop people from voting. And the thing is, you know, I think for for McConnell to kind of come forward now. And he's not putting any of that kind of stuff on the table, right? He, he, he you know, he's like, he, he's basically saying he'll work with the Democrats to pass a bill that would say um, the, 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 um, the Congress can't throw out electoral votes from states because they disagree with them on the day that they count the electoral votes. You know, McConnell say, see, I worked with the Democrats to pass a bipartisan democracy bill. But meanwhile, everything that's much more significant and that comes up in every election, you know, is sort of off the table that way. Oh, it's so awful. I, I And I don't know which direction any of this is headed. I mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball. None of us do. But I, I, I tend to see... I don't know, you know, how you counter any of this. Again, it's hinging on these two senators from places where, um, you know, they're Democrats, but just barely. I mean, especially Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema. It's hard to tell wh- what the hell, which way the wind's blowing with her. But Joe Manchin, West Virginia, they still mine coal there, and so it's it's like one man is literally at this linchpin of what happens next with this American experiment, this, this democracy. And, and, and when you hear all these people up to and including Jimmy Carter and, and Obama saying things are bad, things are really bad. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What, what do we do about any of this? I tell you, I'm not predicting a violent civil war like you were talking about earlier. I think that's extremely unlikely to happen. You know, the, the United States has an enormous, uh, you could think of it as like a planet that has so much gravity holding it together that it would really take a, you know, some kind of atom bomb to, to blow, bigger than an atom bomb to blow it apart. That's kind of how I think of the United States. I think it'll hold together, but I think the much more serious risks are sort of permanent minority rule here with a, with that permanent minority really oppressing the majority. I, I think that could happen without actually causing a, a violent civil war or something like that. Well, that is pretty bad too. 
that's yeah. that's bad because I don't think these folks operate from a position of good faith, and that's putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, let's return to the Supreme Court for a minute and what's coming up in 2022. Speaking of crystal balls, is there anywhere on supremecourt.gov where you can go and actually see what's coming up? I mean, I see there's a thing called filing and rules, but I would imagine yeah. that it's if you want to file a case with the Supreme Court. Well, you can you can see all the cases, but they don't do a lot of interpretation for you. So you can look on, on the Supreme Court's website it will list every case by name and it will tell you, you know, when that case is going to be argued orally, um, but it won't really tell you what the case is about. And so you can you can actually click on all the cases by name and you might be able to see some of the briefs that were filed in those cases. And if you read those, you know, you can find out. But I, I think a much easier way to, to, to learn about cases than trying to actually use the Supreme Court's website is, is to, to give use, out your home um, phone number. <laughs> yeah, I don't no. Know no, I mean, the, the New York Times covers all the major cases. Um, Adam Liptak and uh, Linda Greenhouse at The New York Times will will write, you know, good summaries that you can read. Um, there is a good blog called SCOTUS blog that a lot of law professors participate on. And, um, they'll, you know, they'll write summaries of, of cases that are coming up. Um, so I, I think those kind of secondary sources would be more digestible for most of your listeners than trying to go to the Supreme Court's own website, because they do put all the information out there, but they give absolutely zero interpretation of any of it. So you have to kind of work through that yourself. There's some other big cases that I mean, we were talking about the COVID vaccine cases, but you could almost forget that a week or two ago, there were arguments in a case that could overturn Roe versus Wade. And I, I would actually expect that the court will um, overturn Roe versus Wade this semester, this, 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 yeah, this term, although they may, they may not say that they're doing that. Um, so in the, in the Mississippi case, where Mississippi is going to prohibit a lot of uh, pre-viability uh, abortions, you know, even though the law since 1973 has been that there's a constitutional right to uh, abortion right up till the point of viability, um, the, the court at best is going to say, well, that right could end uh, earlier than the point of viability. Um, or at worst, they're just going to say there's no such right at all. But either way, they're going to really green light states to restrict abortion um, at earlier and earlier times um, until it's not legal at all anymore. That That's going to happen this term, I think. Another terrible thing that's going to happen this term, um, which will affect uh, you up there in the New York area, I suppose, is that um, although most of the states already have actually no meaningful gun laws and where I live in Cincinnati and where I work in Kentucky, you know, people can walk around open carrying, concealed carrying. There's no permits. There's nothing like that. Um, you still don't have that in, in more civilized parts of the country. Um, but um, New York City, which requires a, a special permit for people to take handguns out of their home, um, uh, that's being challenged. And this could be the first time the Supreme Court ever strikes down a, a gun regulation of that form, um, a, a regulation not against owning a gun at home, but against carrying it around. And I think that will happen. And that's really going to break down any, any it's going to destroy any possibility of any kind of meaningful uh, gun control. Um, so, you know, these are things that are happening this term. It's not going to be a great term. How, do, how does that happen, though? Because if, if um, Republicans are all about states' rights, how, how do you not allow a state like New York the right to decide who gets to carry a, a, a weapon, a lethal weapon? Yeah, a lethal weapon around on the streets. Well, I think what the what this Supreme Court, you know, the way they would say what they would say is, well, the Second Amendment's a constitutional right, 
and states don't get to decide to violate constitutional rights. But but that kind of disguises the idea that um, the, the, the Second Amendment right to bear arms, there's never been a single case in history where any court ever said that applies to, um, you know, pu public carriage, either open carriage or concealed carriage. Um, and, and they've always allowed states to regulate that. But, you know, just sort of under the broad brush of, well, the Second Amendment's a constitutional right, um, the, the, the Supreme Court, I think, is going to really um, unshackle people. What does the Constitution kind of... have to say about my right not to be shot by some aggro asshole? Yeah, exactly. In the uh, exactly. parking lot of the Target. I mean, that's right. the wrong name for a store anyway, come to think of it. Yeah. Uh, so so do I not have a right to not be shot by somebody? I mean, what, what, so what? Uh, I don't get this at all. I'm so confused. Sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's a it's it's a sickening it's a sickening trend, and nobody should think that it has anything to do with the Constitution of the United States. It it has to do with the people that are uh, in the majority on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, Ken Katkin is my guest. We have about three minutes left. He is uh, a professor of law at the Salmon P. Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University, which is in. Uh, did you say it was in Mitch McConnell's <laughs> district? Is that where? It was? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh in fact, Jesus. You know, uh... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Connell is, is 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 the senator uh, where I teach, and uh, and Thomas Massey. Did you see his Christmas card with him and his whole family? Oh yeah, they guns? were the ones. Yeah, that went viral. Well, that thing. Yeah, he's 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 the congressman who represents the district where where I teach. Oh, what a douche! Oh my yeah. god, how do you stand it? Uh, you know, I, I I get away every night. I live on the Cincinnati side of the river, not on the Kentucky oh, side of the river. Thank yeah. goodness. Um, yeah. uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Uh, I, we've just plain old run out of road, so I'll have you back before too much longer because there's going to be more shit going down at the Supreme Court. Believe you me. And tomorrow, don't forget to tune in. Uh, Ken Kacken on Trash Flow Radio, 3 p.m. on uh, WAIF Radio. And is it, what is that? WAIFradio.net or .com? Uh, dot .org. Yeah, WAIFradio.org. You can listen to it live. Yeah. Uh, it's celebrating Elvis's birthday, and I'm going to try to call in and tell the story of Lou Elliott and Supercycle and his secret deliveries to the back door of Graceland. Oh, it's a good story. And I'll tell I you cannot wait it. for that. Uh, Ken, as always, a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to drop Thanks. in with me. Thanks for having right. me, as always. Take care. There goes uh, Professor Ken Katkin. And... Ah, that was fun. Don't forget, 3 p.m. Sundays, Hound Howls, followed by Crash in the Party, Do your Chop Shop of the Year with Mark and Miriam at 5 p.m. Sundays. This show replays on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and becomes a podcast in between Friday and Tuesday, available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, whatever the hell else.